0: We are at the beginning of the year and I've been thinking a little bit about what are my goals for this year. What are my health goals? What are my ministry goals? What are some family goals? What are some financial goals? What, what are some goals that I have for this year? And I was thinking about that because it's the beginning of the year and it's the, a time to reassess and evaluate how are we doing? How are we getting on toward our life goals Um, and, and some of you have life goals. You have those things that you have out there in in front of you that you could someday, this is what I want to do. Right. And, and hopefully if that's a real goal for you and not just a dream or a wish, you have goals each year that are helping progress you toward that life goal. Right. But sometimes we just say things like, oh, that's a life goal, life goals. I've seen that as a hashtag. Right, That you, you see something that somebody went on a vacation and oh, life goals, I'd love to do that. Or you see a project that they did, something that they built, and you oh, that's a life goal. I, and it's just a dream or a wish that we have. You, you know what I realize, though, is that in the goals, whether they're, they're dreams or whether they're reality, I rarely ever think, I hope that I suffer well this year. I just, one of my goals for this year, for 2020, it, it's a new decade, 2020, 2020 vision. My vision for this year is that I suffer well. And yet, that's what the scriptures bring for us. That we should have an expectation. That there will be suffering. Because a lot of the goals that I put down, the, the aspirations of things that I have to achieve in this lifetime, right, include things like I would love to be able to retire someday and take life easy and relax. Right? Any, I won't make you raise hands, but just you can nod along in your mind. Is that a goal for you? Yeah, you'd like to, to do that. I I think there are a lot of things that that we I, I just like to make it easier, more fun, more exciting, something. And just rarely, if ever, is suffering on that list. But here we go with 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to be in verse 18, so I encourage you to turn there, but I want to give you the context for this. I'm not going to put it up there, I'm just going to read it for you but I just want to read the context for this to set the tone. This is 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. I I just have to say, I have heard this verse, verse 15, and used this verse a lot. I was taught this verse as I was growing up. Actually, not the whole thing, just part of it, this part here. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Just that piece of it. Memorized it, remembered it, was taught in high school. You really, this is an apologetics verse. You should be able to defend your faith. So if somebody asks you, why do you believe? You can tell them, this is why. And this was the verse that we went to. Now having just read the context of this verse to you, I hope that you recognize, as I do, the discrepancy between the way that it was used and the way that I had grabbed, uh, grabbed onto this verse and the way that it's actually used in the context here, because the context here is sometimes you are going to suffer, and hopefully when you suffer, you're suffering for righteousness' sake. And when you're suffering for righteousness' sake and people are accusing you, you should be ready to make a defense for the hope that you have, in, that's in you. So that it sounds a little bit like this. Why do you still have hope even though you're suffering right now? That doesn't make any sense. That wasn't the way that I was taught about this verse. I was taught people are going to question why you're a Christian and you need to be able to tell them why. But no preparation for the suffering that was going to be a part of it. Suffer well. So that when people see you suffering and yet see that you have hope and they ask you about that hope, you can be quick to tell them it's because of Jesus. That even though I'm suffering, I still have hope. It's because of Jesus. We have to be prepared for suffering. We have to be. It's part of life. Suffering happens. It's part of the Christian life. There are people who would want to tell you that if you become a Christian and you just believe hard enough, that you won't have to suffer anymore. That God just wants to give you good things So that you can live a great life and you can live it right now. And if you don't have that great life right now, you must just not have enough faith. Because what God really wants for you right now is for you to be happy and He wants to bless you. And I look at these verses and go, nope. Not what this says. It isn't that God doesn't want what's good for us. It's not that he's sitting back in heaven going, "You know what would be really fun? It's if I made them sweat this out for a while." That that's not his perspective either, but he is not removing us from suffering right now. Our expectation needs to be that there will be suffering. We will experience that suffering and He will carry us through and our hope is going to remain on Jesus throughout the whole process so that if anybody asks you, why are you hoping even though you're suffering, you can tell them, it's because I hope in Jesus. It's because I hope in Jesus. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Somehow we missed that part too. I was terrible at the answering with gentleness and respect part. Somebody needed to remind me of those words in there. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Because, now we get to verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. We should expect that we will experience suffering because Jesus Himself also experienced suffering. Sometimes I I find myself going, wait, but time out, Jesus suffered so I don't have to, right? Well, Jesus experienced the judgment that I deserve, the condemnation that I deserve, that my sins deserve. But just like He suffered, that wasn't completely removing us from all suffering. It was an example for us in how we ought to suffer. It's a very different thing. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for those who are unrighteous. You and I who are not righteous, He suffered in our place so that He might bring us to God. So that He might reconcile us with God. If we take our time to think about this, Jesus had no um, reason that He Himself should suffer. Right? There was no sin in Him. He had no reason for Him to suffer. This was God. This was God. He could do whatever He wanted. And if he said, you know what? I feel like I'd like to live as a human but not experience any of the pain. He could have done that. But he didn't. He said, I am going to experience the suffering that is associated with sin and flesh. And I'm going to experience those things so that those who are unrighteous might through faith be made righteous, so that he might bring us to God. So he was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, and this is the hope that we have. Now, for those of you who are familiar with first Peter, this is the, the verses that you have been waiting for. I'm surprised that the place isn't packed. Because um, I would really like for somebody to explain these verses to me. (laughs) For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to Him. Okay, here's, here's the verses. In verses 19 and 20, We have this, and he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they did not form, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. Okay. I have read this many times and I have gone up to this verse and gone, I don't know what this means. And so I just sort of skip over those verses and keep going. And I I wrestled with this this week. In fact, I I was um, convicted of my skipping over these verses when at one point I was talking with someone who was of a different um, faith understanding than me. And they were talking about how after somebody dies, they get a second chance. And I went, what do you mean after they die, they get a second chance? And they said, well, after the person dies, then um, Jesus gives them a second chance to believe in him. I said, no, that's not what's... Uh, where would you get that from? And they said, well, right here in First Peter 3. And I went, well, that's not what that means. Because that doesn't fit with anything else in the whole Bible. It can't mean that. And they go, well, what, what does it mean then? I got nothing. Right, and, and so I was convicted about that and still skipped over these verses because who knows what these things mean. But this week, I was going to be preaching in front of you and I can't skip over these verses because that's not how we do it here. We preach through. And so I wrestled with this. <coughs> and here's what I've come up with. Is that um, it is not that he is going and proclaiming to uh, spirits of people who were in prison. But, but here, follow me into 2 Peter 2, just for a second. In 2 Peter 2, verse 4, it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world, the world of the ungodly. Then the next couple of verses, if he, if he, if he, then verse nine. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of the defiling passion and despise authority. Okay, so as I was reading, I, I thought, maybe, maybe somewhere else in the rest of First Peter, he explains where what this means, and I couldn't find it. And I went, oh, but he wrote a second la- letter. And maybe the people that he wrote to were also confused about this, and he explained it, and I found these verses and went, "This sounds the same. I think he 's talking about the same thing here, and so here 's the, the the sequence that you have that in Second in Peter chapter two, in verse four he 's talking about if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, that sounds an awful lot like prison to me. Chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah. So you have have this sequence of things that are happening. And then there are some other things about Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and those kinds of things. But you have the sequence through the book of Genesis. And so what you have is uh, first these angels who were sinning and doing something. Um, And then the judgment of God comes in the time of Noah, right? You're familiar with the flood that uh, the world was so evil in Genesis chapter 6 that God says he was sorry that he made man. And he was going to wipe out everything from the face of the earth. And so he takes Noah and he says, Noah, I'm going to save you and your family. I'm going to flood the whole world and we're going to wipe away everything. Everything. This is going to be the judgment on the earth because there is so much sin here. But I'm going to spare you if you'll make this ark. And so Noah, by faith, builds this ark. And he and his family get on the ark along with a bunch of animals and they are spared the judgment floodwaters. But right at the same time, There were these angels who had sinned, and they were doing things that God had said you should not do. That, and these are these fallen angels that that um, are judged at that same time of Noah. And so now, if we back into go back to one Peter chapter three, what we have is, and he went. This is Jesus. In the spirit and proclaim to the spirits who were in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So here's what I think is happening here is that Jesus in his death and resurrection is proclaiming the judgment so that those that we're all in sin at the time of Noah when the judgment came, and that in Second uh, Peter it says that they were cast into to chains. They were um, cast into hell and committed to them to chains. That that Jesus is proclaiming this is the victory. This is the victory that we have been waiting for. This is the victory. He he, he had died in the flesh, but in the spirit he was made alive and proclaiming the victory in the judgment of sin. And then this is connected uh, with baptism. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you have in the time of Noah that Noah through faith believed in the salvation of God that was provided for him through the ark that carried him through those judgment waters. And those flood waters came and washed away all of the sin and they brought, they, they brought judgment on the whole world and destroyed the whole thing. But Noah was spared by believing. In in the midst of that, right? In the midst of that, God's patience was waiting. God could have said, and here comes the flood, now. I'm done. But He waited. He waited for Noah to build an ark. It took a while. Up until that point, God's patience, God patiently waited while the sins built up and accumulated. And then he said, Okay, Noah, it's coming. The judgment is coming, but I'm going to wait so that you might be saved and carried through this. And Noah believed. And the floodwaters came and he was carried through in the boat. And just like Noah was saved, by faith in God's salvation through that boat, we are saved through faith in God's salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we are baptized, it is a representation of our identification with Jesus so that we're put under the water, right? Uh, we're told this in Romans chapter 6 that we're buried with Him in baptism and raised to Him into new life again. But, he, but what Peter is doing here is he's connecting this with Noah. And he's saying just like the flood came and washed everything away, it's like the, the, the baptismal waters coming and washing everything away. The, 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 like the judgment is happening and all of the sins and everything are being removed. Not, not like dirt from the body. You're, that's not what's going on in baptism. It's not like, oh, well, now I'm clean and so now I'm acceptable to God but rather that all of the sin and all of the judgment and all of the condemnation are being washed away. Not in the baptism itself. Not that you have to be baptized in order to be saved, but that in that baptism it is a representation of the faith and what is happening spiritually. It's a fleshly representation of what's happening spiritually baptism which corresponds to this now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is now at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to Him. After Jesus suffered in the flesh, After He was crucified, after He died and then was resurrected, He then ascended to the right hand of God the Father on high. And all principalities and all powers and all authorities were placed under His feet. He is the One who now rules. Everything was put in subjection to Him. It was in that great suffering and in that, uh, in some ways, low point of human history when God in flesh was crucified that His victory was made sure. And He rises again from the dead to demonstrate His power over sin and death and declare His victory. So that even those from the time of Noah look and go, yup. Yup. That was it. That was it. Those who had been cast into hell and held in chains, imprisoned until the day of judgment and then seeing this is the death and resurrection of Jesus. He has declared victory over the whole thing. Which brings us then to the beginning of chapter 4. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Now this is what I was referring to when I was talking about my my goals for this year, my dreams for this year, my hopes for this year. Even my life goals. And in recognizing that my, my life goals and my goals for this year might be a little bit trite. I'm not even going to tell you what they were. Because what, what Jesus was doing was suffering in the flesh in order to bring glory to God. So arm yourselves with that same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. When, when we are uh, suffering in the flesh, it's a demonstration. Our response to that suffering is a demonstration to where our hope really lies. What are you putting your hope in? What are you putting your trust in? What are we looking forward to? arm yourselves with the same way of thinking because the person who has suffered in the flesh has has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions but for the will of God and this is what i'm recognizing is that wait a second these passions these these desires of the flesh that's me too So that when I look at what are my life goals and what are my goals for this year and I were to put them up against somebody that's my neighbor that lives in my same community, would I be able to distinguish between my goals and their goals for this year? Would I be able to distinguish between my hopes and my dreams for my life and their hopes and their dreams for their life? Or are we both hoping that our kids turned out to be reasonably uh, healthy, happy human beings contributing in, as productive members of society and that uh, we get to uh, retire and not have to work anymore and go play golf. I don't even play golf yet, but it sounds wonderful. Or Is it that we recognize that Jesus suffered in the flesh so we also can suffer in the flesh having a hope for eternity? Because when we suffer, it demonstrates to us that we are not living any longer for the passions of the flesh, but we are living for something beyond. Something with a greater hope. Something looking beyond today or tomorrow or this month or this year. Because if otherwise I'm putting my hopes in the realities that come in the flesh, I look at my friend David and I go, that guy was in pretty good health. He wasn't that old. He wasn't even 50. He hadn't gotten to the reward yet. If we're, if we're putting our hope in a fleshly reward, He hadn't gotten there yet. But when I hear about the people that He was pouring into, the people that He was connecting with, the people that He was encouraging, I was talking with a friend of mine. He said, yeah, Thursday evening we're all getting together because uh, we're talking about theology and stuff over beer. I said, oh, why are you doing that? He said, well, that's something that, that David set up a while ago and we do it every month. He said, I just learned that this is one of like four or five groups that he does this with. I went, really? That's awesome. I didn't know that. I knew that he was investing at the seminary. I knew that he was teaching preaching classes. I knew that he was helping people with uh, getting their doctorate at the seminary. I knew that he was being an elder. And I look at this stuff and I go, man, I hope that I get to do it like he did. Because what an awesome and glorious thing to be able to say, I'm living for Jesus for however long that is. I'm living for Jesus. Whether people around me would say, wow, they have real uh, comfort right now. Or whether people around me would look at me and and, and say, wow, they are really suffering right now. In either case, to have a hope for glory. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Isn't this is a great phrase in, in verse 3? For the time that has already passed suffices for pursuing those passions and pursuits. Some of you are going, wait, that wasn't very long though. I didn't get very long doing that one. Yep, that was plenty. You had plenty of time. However much time it was, you, you had great plenty of time for pursuing those passions. Let's move on to greater things. Let's move on to more wonderful things. Let's move on to more glorious things. Yeah, you, you per- pursued those trivial things long enough, but it wasn't very long. I didn't get to enjoy those for very long. That's great. That was plenty. It's not that fulfilling. Living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies. I, I think back to uh, time in college and the the people that I was around and the fun that they were having. I was with people who were having so much fun that I had to hold them over the toilet for the rest of the night. It's a lot of fun. The time has passed. There was enough time for that kind of fun. Let's move on now to other things. With, with respect to this, that they are surprised when you don't, don't join in with them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Because you don't party the same way that they party. Because you don't celebrate the same things that they celebrate. You don't do things in the same way that they do them. You're not prioritizing the same things. The, the, the people here that w- w- they're talking about with the kind of idolat- lawless idolatry and, and drinking parties and things, some of these would have been religious things that, that they were uh, doing, that they were worshiping the emperor and that sort of thing. Some of them were, were just parties for the sake of partying. But they, to not participate in those kinds of things would, would be to be un-Roman. You're, you're not doing that? Are you even Roman? How could you not participate in this kind of stuff? To put it in, in terms for today, it would be like not celebrating Halloween or Thanksgiving or Christmas in the same way that the people around us do. And they go, wait, why are you? Why do you do it that way? That's like un-American. It's un-American to do it that way. Why aren't you partying with us? Why aren't you celebrating with us? Well, I have a different kind of a hope. My hope is not in the gifts that we're giving and receiving. My hope is not in a party for today. My hope is for an eternal. But it requires a significant shift in thinking. Because in the the time that I'm around the people that I'm with, I'd go, I want to do it the way that they do it. They look like they're having fun. And sometimes they are. And sometimes it could be fun to have fun with them. But instead, we'd like it to be the other way around. That we have a hope that we don't have to do the partying things that they do. And when they suffer, and they see us suffering, they go, I want that. I want to have a hope like that. That when I'm suffering, I want to have hope like that. Do you see the shift in emphasis? On the one side, you've got, you've got this party and joy and fun for now. And on the other, whatever we're experiencing now, we have a hope and a joy that is to come. And when we're placing our hope on that which is to come, we can expect there's going to be suffering now. Jesus suffered. And set for us an example on how to suffer well for the glory of God. And those who are partying and trying to ignore and and bypass the suffering, verse 5 says, they will give an account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the Gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does." That This is why the Gospel has been preached. And, and it's been preached. It didn't sound exactly the same, but the Gospel was preached in the time of Noah. The judgment is coming. Salvation only comes through God. And it's been preached ever since then. The judgment is coming. The only salvation is through faith in God, through Jesus Christ. It's been preached, and it's been preached, and it's been preached. And throughout the generations, people have heard and some have responded and have lived with a whole new kind of hope. And others have rejected it and mocked it and laughed at it and gone, I don't want that. But this is why the gospel was preached. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. I would put it this way, that um, though they are judged in the flesh by people, they're made alive in the Spirit by God though people may look at you and go, Pff, no. That's what this whole context is, right? Keeping your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That was all the way back in 2 verse 12. And then he talks about how to suffer as a citizen with an unrighteous emperor. And he talks about how to suffer as a slave with an unrighteous employer, master. And how to suffer as a wife with an unrighteous husband. And then he puts Jesus up as an example of someone who suffers. This whole thing, suffering is huge with Peter. It's huge with Peter. You remember the same guy that told Jesus, no, you will not suffer that. Over my dead body will you suffer and die. He has a radically different understanding now. And he is trying to help us to uh, expect and understand the same. Suffering is coming. You should expect that people are going to look at you and think that you are weird Because you don't participate in and have hope in the same things that they do. And at the same time, when they see you suffer and glorify God, they will go, what is that about? What is that about? Though judged in the flesh the way people are, they may be made alive in the Spirit the way God does. If we go back and read this whole thing now, you'll see this connection between the beginning, verse 18, and the end in 4, verse 6. Because in verse 18 it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join in with them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. This is our hope. That though we may be judged by other people and suffer in the flesh, we may be made alive in the Spirit and rejoice with God forevermore. Because that is going to be a great and glorious time that far outweighs whatever joys we may have experienced now and will make all of the suffering worthwhile. May we, like Christ, suffer well for the glory of God, so that when people see us suffering and ask, Why do you have hope even now? we might be quick to respond, Because my hope is in Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we open your word and we're seeing these things, we know these truths we have been convinced by the reading of Scripture that what will come is greater than what is now. That the rewards in heaven are greater by far than anything that we might uh, achieve or accumulate here. That the pain and the suffering that we endure here are nothing to be compared to glory and eternity with you. And yet, even though when we sit and we stop and we read them and we meditate on them, mentally we acknowledge these things are true, it is hard, it is hard to believe it deep in our hearts, to expect and to hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. And so, Father, we pray that we would not be uh, led astray by those who believe differently than we do. Those who believe that the party is now and now only and there is nothing else to come. Or those who believe that they can party now and later. They could repent. Father, may we really believe that the party is not now and that whatever the suffering is is nothing to be compared to the glory that is to come. Would you work that into our hearts that we might rejoice and be quick to tell others my hope is in Jesus and in Him alone. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen.